welcome to the GEM State Podcast. My name is Brian Allman. This morning, I sat down with Wayne Hoffman, the president of the Idaho Freedom Foundation, for an interview. We talked for nearly an hour about the IFF and their scores they give to legislators based on the bills they vote on. We also talked about how this information can help voters hold their elected officials accountable as well as how we can take control of our state from the establishment and special interests who have been running it for a while now. Without further ado, here is my interview with Wayne Hoffman. Good morning. My name Good is morning. Brian Ullman. I'm with, uh, I write for Gem State Substack, and this is the first ever Gem State Substack live stream, and I am joined on this first episode with, uh, by Wayne Hoffman, the president of the Idaho Freedom Foundation. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you here, Wayne. I appreciate you making the time, and I'm looking forward to uh, uh, an interesting discussion. Sure, thanks. Thanks for having me, Brian. Wow, what a, what an honor to be on your be your inaugural uh, uh, test subject. <laughs> test subject, indeed. It's uh, <laughs> I'm learning a lot about how this works. But if it goes well, then I expect to do more events like this in the future. So what? Uh, you know, just to inch, you know, for the audience, I suppose, uh, tell us about yourself, how you got involved with uh, the, the cause of freedom and how uh, the Freedom Foundation uh, does its work. Oh, that's a long question. So I'm the president of Idaho Freedom Foundation. We started the Freedom Foundation at the end of 2008. Um, I had at that point in time been working for a member of Congress who lost reelection. And I had spent a lot of years in and around government. So around government as a journalist back before there was such a thing as fake news, but I covered, uh, well, there was fake news back then too, but it wasn't as pervasive as it is now. And uh, after I got out of the journalism business, I I had worked uh, um, at the Idaho Statesman, the Idaho Press Tribune, and some smaller uh, news outlets along my career. Um, I, I, I went to work in largely Republican politics and, um, uh, was working for a state agency, a couple of state agencies, uh, had worked for some office people who, who uh, ran for in one office. And so I'd seen enough of government to know that there's something that wasn't quite right about uh, the way things were playing out. Republicans get elected and promise they're going to be conservative, and yet government keeps growing and growing and growing. And so um, I was talking to a dear friend of mine who said, well, maybe you should start a state free market think tank. And I said, well, what's that? And it turns out that um, there was a state free market think tank in almost every state except for Idaho at that point in time. And um, so you have um, the Heritage Foundation, Cato Institute, some of those groups that work on a national level. And then you have these other smaller think tanks that work on conservative or libertarian-ish public policies all over the country. And um, I said, well, that that sounds like fun because then I don't have to worry about who the office holder, what letter is next to their name. I just have to worry about whether they're doing a pro-conservative thing or not. And so we started that. It it started out as the Gem State Institute, uh, was renamed into um, uh, Idaho Freedom Foundation just before launch in December uh, 2008. And uh, we started out doing like a lot of think tanks do, which is writing white papers. And the joke is just one more white paper and we'll win the war. And it just doesn't work that way. I had a donor who called me and said, um, 
is there a way to know if my legislator is actually conservative or not? Because there are a couple of votes she's cast that just seemed awfully left of center. And I said, no, we don't really have a mechanism for that, but how about we create one? And we did, and it's called the Idaho Freedom Index, which is the thing that everyone now uses to see if a legislator is voting for limited government or big government. And um, it probably, more than anything else, has propelled us into the spotlight as being Idaho's most influential public policy organization. And that's the first time in the state's history that an organization from our sphere of influence has had really any kind of political clout, let alone the most political clout. I remember I moved from Washington State four years ago, and we had the Evergreen Freedom Foundation that was doing Mm -hmm. similar work. Uh, but I guess it's a different fight when you're in a red state instead of a blue state. You know, they're trying to fight against the Democrats. We're trying to fight to hold Republicans accountable for what they claim to believe in. That That's absolutely correct. And um, what you find is that, yes, the, the Evergreen Freedom Foundation, now just called the Freedom Foundation in Washington State, and uh, the Washington Policy Center also in Washington State, um, they do think tank work, and they try to influence policies as best they can working with Republicans and Democrats. Um, but, you know, and we still work with Democrats here, but it's really the Republicans that either are a help or a hindrance to the promotion of liberty. And uh, we find in many respects, they're, they're, they are, they can be quite a hindrance some days. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll actually jump ahead to a question I had just because it seems to go to go with that. Uh, Senator Jeff Agenbrod. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he had an editorial attacking the Freedom Foundation saying you're engaged in bullying and manipulation. And it seems like, you know, I've, I've seen your ratings, your, your scores being used by challengers to incumbent politicians a lot. And I'm just wondering, do you think these attacks against you by, you know, Republican senators and by, you know, the uh, TV media, are, are they designed to take away that ability for voters to be able to, you know, have have a scale to measure their, you know, their incumbent uh, delegates on? Yes, and and worse than that. So actually, let's go back a little bit. Um, If you go to the state legislature's website and you said to yourself, I would like to know Jeff Agenbrod's record. I just want to look at Jeff Agenbrod's record. You actually can't do that. If you go to their website, there's no way for you to look at the record except for to click on every single bill that's been introduced, seeing if it was voted on, and then tallying his yes and no votes. It would probably take you months to do that if you had nothing else going on. You just have to go through every bill and tally the score. Maybe it wouldn't take you months if you just had anything going on. But if you have, if you're living a regular life, taking care of your kids or or working a job or running a business or whatever, you don't have time to go do that. Um to make matters worse, up until now, cameras were installed in the House and Senate chambers in the year 2000. But up until 2013, the video record of the debates on the floor of the House and Senate were de- deleted, destroyed every five days. So you'd have the video created on a Monday, it was deleted on a Friday. And that was just normal. So what we did was we actually took the videos off the public television stream and we posted them on our website. And then I got this call from House and Senate leadership and they said, Wayne, you can't do that. And I said, why can't I? And because we were saving it on our website for posterity. And they said, well, we have a rule against saving the videos more than five days. And I said, well, that's your rule, not mine. 
And so the legislature was forced in a position to have to um, save the videos in perpetuity. So I wasn't the only guy that had a copy of the record. So now if you go to the legislature's website, you'll see all the videos um, on the um, on the legislature's website going back to 2013. I say all this because there's more transparency and accountability regarding legislators than there's ever been, and they don't like that. So when you look at Jeff Agenbrod's voting record, um, you can argue that the Freedom Index is all wrong, that, that we somehow we don't score the 300 bills we look at correctly. We've gotten, we've gotten them all, all, all wrong or mostly wrong, okay? All right, well, that's fine. Um, then how do you explain that Jeff Agenbrod votes with the most liberal Democrat 90.7% of the time? I'm not making that up. That's not something I just created. That's a fact. Um, and I can tell you that it's not because Idaho Democrats are especially conservative. They're not. They're very left of center. And so it begs the question, what's really going on here? So, yeah, the criticism that we get is because we have made the process extremely accessible and extremely accountable. Now, I get accused of or my team gets accused of bullying legislators. I got to tell you, we don't call legislators uh, um well, not to, we do call legislators. Um, we don't take them to to dinner. We don't call them and 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 bully them or say if you do X, we'll do Y. Um, there will be repercussions for your votes. We don't do any of that stuff. All we do is present the facts. We present the votes, and we do that. We we present the the analysis of the legislation. We and we do that before any House or Senate floor vote. So it's completely transparent. And the other thing is, you can see how we're scoring a bill. You can see why we're scoring a bill a certain way. And so it's not just oh we support this bill or oh we oppose this bill. It's Here's why this bill is contrary to limited government. And that makes the process even more transparent. And that has really frustrated and angered guys like Jeff Agenbrod and Scott Bedkey and Chuck Winder and various other people. They, they don't like that accountability. They loved being able to go back home to their constituents and say, I vote pro-life, I vote pro-gun, I'm a conservative. Okay, that's good. I'm glad you do those things. What else do you do? You grew Medicaid. Medicaid is now double the size as it was uh, six years ago, which is a real problem. Um, the, the government has more oversight over you and me than it did 5, 10, 15 years ago. What jobs we can have, what the criteria, restrictions are for getting in those jobs, for starting a business, Um for any interaction in the marketplace, there's government. And that didn't happen under Democrat control. That happened under Republican control. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I feel like there's uh, people always have a feeling about what the legislators are doing. They'll, they'll see one high profile bill and they vote yes or no. And, and so they've got a sense of what's happening. But I think your indexes give uh, people uh, a lot more information, a lot more transparent information so that they can either confirm or, you know, maybe find out that they were wrong about their feelings about what their legislators have been doing. Mm -hmm. Yep, correct. So I have some specific questions about how you uh, score certain bills. Um, I was wondering, do you, when, when you're scoring spending bills, do you distinguish between uh, government spending for things that the government's supposed to do, like, you know, build roads or whatever, at 
and other things that they do, like give tax cuts and subsidies to businesses to come build here. Uh, do you see those as two separate uh, levels of of um, overreach or growth? Um, they're they're both problematic. So so let me split this out a little bit. We actually have three different uh, measurements for mm-hmm. growth in government. Uh, one is the Freedom Index. That's the most commonly known one. Then we have a thing called the Spending Index. The Spending Index looks specifically at budget bills separately from policy bills. And what we do is we look at things like, um, is it the proper role of government? Um, so for so in, in the category of proper role of government is, should the state own a TV station or, or you know, um, a broadcasting outlet? Should the state be in the arts business? Should the state give money to a an agency that's intended to appease a particular group of the population based on skin color? I'm talking about like the Hispanic Commission. Um, is 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 the is the spending level appropriate? Have have has anybody bothered to take a look at the base spending and try to figure out ways to reduce? You know the the starting point in in government growth. You know, do we do we start at at uh, an agency that has a million dollars? Maybe they don't need a million dollars to start with. They need eight hundred thousand dollars. Do we do any of those things? That's the spending index, and then the policy index looks at things like: Is it expanding the role of an, of of government? Does it create a new regulation, new tax, new fee, um, new bureaucracy? Does it take away from the private sector? Does it um, uh, you know, uh, make government less transparent? Does it create a new crime that didn't exist previously? Those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. I've uh, heard several legislators say that with regard to appropriations bills, spending bills, that all they're doing is just funding what the legislature has already said they need to do. And uh, I, I, so I think they would argue that, uh, you know, getting dinged for voting on those is, isn't fair. What, what, what do you think about that? Well, I mean, just because it's something that they're supposed to already be doing doesn't mean they're doing it well. So there's plenty of waste, fraud, and abuse in different agencies. So if you say there's a state law that says we have to fund Medicaid, that's true. There is a state law that says we have to fund Medicaid. But 37% of the um, of the payments on Medicaid have been shown to be fraudulent. So should a legislator vote for that bill, appropriating a bunch of money, knowing that Better than a third of the spending is is going fraudulently. Um, okay, there's a, a law. There's actually in the Constitution it says that um, we're supposed to have a, a, a public school system. Well, you still have to account for the fact that money is being wasted on an administrative bloat. Um, that some of the money is going into um, social justice and critical race theory. Why should a legislator vote for that? Okay, it's baked into the law, it's baked into the Constitution, but that doesn't mean that the spending bill is appropriate. Mm-hmm. I mean, if that were the case, then if it's if it's, you know, we're going to quadruple the spending on an agency and we're going to raise taxes to make that happen, it would, it would then you would be you'd be duty bound to vote for that, and that's just simply erroneous. Uh, you brought up education, so I'll jump to this question. Uh, I just uh, had a piece published this morning in Action Idaho about the progressive interests behind groups like Reclaim Idaho. And I know there's other groups like that, uh, the Idaho 97, Take Back Idaho, etc. Um, what do you think of all these groups that are coming from the left, but they're trying to present themselves as... Uh, uh, as common sense conservative. And in the case of Reclaim, they want to, you know, they're trying to get a petition to raise more spending, raise taxes for education. 
Well, it's obvious who they are and what they are. Uh, Reclaim Idaho is a leftist organization funded by out-of-state uh, big labor dollars. They're probably now getting uh, out-of-state um, leftist education support. Uh, I'm, I wouldn't be terribly shocked to see Soros or Bill Gates uh, behind their funding either at some level. Um, and that's why they want that stuff. They're not common sense conservatives. Um, they're leftists. That's exactly what they are. And, and what, what the left is tending to do in Idaho over many years is confuse the language. So if you're a if you're a conservative who votes for limited government, you know, things that are in the Republican Party platform, you're uh, an extremist. You're not even far right anymore. That's the language they used to use. Now they call you an extremist. If you're a, a legislator who who uh, votes for who who's who's strongly against big government, except for when you're not, which is all the time, um, then you're a common sense conservative. Which means that when presented with an idea to grow government, you're kind of okay with it. Um, as long as the justification is good enough from the special interest groups or the agencies. So they're all being very disingenuous. They're throwing those names around, those labels, but we all know exactly what they are. Conservatives are people who vote for limited government, period, end of sentence. Um, they don't equivocate on it. You know, it's one of the reasons why when we do the Freedom Index, you know, we don't judge programs whether they're good or bad, whether they're needed or not needed. Because everybody's going to justify the creation of a program, right? Um, every bill that was ever introduced in the legislature in the legislature has somebody who thinks it's a great idea. No, no bill has ever been introduced that people didn't want for some reason or another. They all justify it as being the right choice. So I don't judge whether a program is good or bad. I'm just judging the fact that it's being created or whether a regulation is good or bad. I'm just saying. Here it is. It exists. So if you have a the, the question is whether you have a propensity to do that all the time, even the most conservative legislator is going to vote for some expansion of government every now and then. They just will. They might support a fee increase or something, or they might say, well, this is a needed regulation for whatever reason. OK, I mean, the question is whether you do that all the time. And the answer is that most legislators do it all the time. And it doesn't matter whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, you do it all the time. And so these folks that are coming out and they're saying, oh, we're supporting the real conservatives, um, they're not. They're supporting the old cronyists, the old Republicans, the old establishment people who loved it when um, you know agencies would walk in the door or a special interest group, group would walk in the door and whatever it is they wanted, they got. So it doesn't. Uh, so you know, I I hear you know people call your organization you know libertarian, and I've heard you push back against that a little bit. Uh, so it's not necessarily your scores reflect how good the government programs are. It's just like you said that they exist, and so it gives you a measure of you know if somebody's twenty percent on a score, then that means they're always voting to grow government and raise taxes and you know expand their influence. Whereas if somebody's ninety percent, they're probably pretty good, right? Yeah, the the libertarian thing is is a false narrative and it's a false narrative concocted by the news media because they've made these distinctions and then we've tried to box ourselves into the distinctions. I would tell you that if you look at um on a linear scale from radical leftist marxist socialist communist or whatever to uh anarchist, you know, where you don't have any government, there are libertarians 
that describe themselves as anarchists on that scale. Um, but um, most libertarians actually just believe in, in some measure of limited government. Um, some believe that you shouldn't pay for police and fire stations. I, I don't necessarily agree with that, but there are those out there who who have that belief. But what we're the 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 the, the, the distinction is is one concocted entirely by the news media, and we're supposed to go along with that that they're the ones who are trying to make this distinction all we are is a as an organization that believes in limited government and sometimes that limited government philosophy it always falls in the conservative uh, spectrum i think but sometimes you pick up libertarians too who happen to agree with those same philosophies but it's a narrative that that doesn't accurately capture the truth which is we're just an organization that supports very limited government and we recognize the fact that government is growing all the time. If you want to put a label on that, I guess, but but what's wrong with saying limited government? Um, that's what it is. Free, limited government, free market, uh, free society, um, you know, uh, uh, giving uh, uh, respecting constitutionally protected, meaning God-given rights. Mm-hmm. Um, is that libertarian? Is it conservative? I, I think it's exactly what I described it as. Stop trying to put some weird label on it. <laughs> I, th- I think I, I get frustrated with all the labels because it, you know, you, you it, either you lump yourself in with a giant group that everybody has a different opinion of, or you define it down so narrowly that it just represents yourself. Right. But if I if I said, you know, I like broccoli and cheese, um, you wouldn't say, well, he's a broccoli and cheesist. You know, that's clearly all he's about. No, I, I just that's just one of the things that I happen to like eating. Stop trying to label it for for what it is, the the the, the or for what it's not. the The re- reality is is that we are a think tank, and one of the things that we research is growth of government, and we measure it. And so, when we measure a bill and it says it's growing government then we note that, we score that, if you will. And is that a libertarian thing to do? Is it a conservative thing to do? It's the thing that you do when you're researching growth in government. You know, it's like if I'm a if I'm a a biologist and I'm I'm hoping that, you know, there are more elk today than there were yesterday, and I'm am I an elkist? No, I'm just a guy who studies this stuff and tries to research and report what it is I've discovered, and and then you get to decide what to do with that. That's all. It's it's interesting your scores, you know, compared to say you know other organization scores, because um, you know the way you're explaining it, they're very quantifiable. You know, right. Does it grow government or not? It's 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 not it's not like your opinions getting in there. Well, I think this is a good bill because I feel you know I support the issue. That, that that's precisely the point. So people will call us all the time, and we always say, "Look, I've got um, four or five analysts looking at legislation, and there's 300 bills. We look at more bills than anybody in the state, um, organizationally or in the legislature, because there are some bills that don't pass one body or another, and doesn't pass committee or whatever. We look at all those bills, and so we're bound to get. I think the number every year is like three bills wrong, three. So that's that's one percent, and um, and we'll go back if we get something wrong. Somebody calls and says, "Hey, you've misread this bill." We'll change it, but if some, we'll change the rating and we'll we'll correct the score because we want to be accurate. Um, but when somebody calls and says you you've you've misscored a bill, you've misrated it, the question I always ask is, "Well, is the analysis wrong?" 
because the analysis is wrong, then we got we've got something. But if if the analysis is correct and you're just angry because we've scored a bill negatively because you like the bill and it does the thing that you want it to do, um, that's that's a that's another issue entirely. I'll give you an example. There was a bill last year that it said that if you have um, a fence line that has fallen in disrepair, then you're subject to um, uh, criminal sanctions. I think it was a misdemeanor of some kind. Um, and, and I, and the, 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 you know, bill supporters called us and said, well, why, why do you have that bill rated this way? That that's just, that's wrong, you know, and here's why, um, if a bill fall, if a, if a fence falls in disrepair, then the cows are going to get loose and they're going to get on my property and they're going to, you know, damage the property. And, and, and that's what we're trying to stop. And I said, well, it sounds like, you're that's that's the law that you should write then you should write a law that says if you if you're if somehow you damage my property then you should be penalized for that and and that's that's a legitimate application of government power but just because a guy's fence is falling in disrepair and now he's subject to a misdemeanor that's a new crime and i can't ignore that that's that you like the bill, I get it. You're trying to solve a problem, but solve it in a conservative way without growing government and creating a new crime that goes on a record because a guy's fence fell down. Um, another example is a friend of mine called me and said, Wayne, uh, we have this great program. We're increasing the fees for it, and uh, you should support you should support the bill because it's a great program. What's the program? It's uh, the snowmobile program. And basically, you know, you, it increases the fees for the, the registration sticker if you're registering a snowmobile in Idaho, like a 20% increase or something. And I said, well, we always rate every bill, doesn't matter what the what the legislation is, if it's a fee increase, it's a negative rating. I, that's all it is. I, if you call me and say it's a wonderful program, everybody has a wonderful program. Everybody has an excuse for some program that they think is doing a great job that the fee should be increased. But whenever you do that, you're taking money out of the economy, you're taking money out of people's pockets. And Maybe you'll want to do that from time to time. I don't know. But when you're doing it all the time, that's the problem. But so that's the reason why we, we have the ratings. So you're conscious of the fact that you're growing government or you're taking money out of people's pockets. And um, and we, we're just religious about that because it's not fair for us to sit there and go, oh, yeah, well, that program is an exception. I like that program. Everybody's got one, right? Everybody's got a program they love. I, I don't, but <laughs> everyone else does. Well, I imagine uh, if a legislator is aware of that, which I'm sure they all are now, then, I mean, maybe this sort of thing can keep them uh, cognizant of every time they vote for a spending increase or an increase in regulations that it's going to you know, decrease their score. And maybe they, you know, they, they, if they don't want it to go below a certain threshold, then they better prioritize what they're actually voting for. If something's really, really, really good, then okay, then I can afford that, uh, that ding on my score. But that, if that- it's... Uh, that, that's exactly right. We don't sit there and go, oh, looks like uh, Senator Smith fell below 100% today. We need to go out there and break his knees. That's how it's portrayed in the media, but it, it's simply not. I mean, I have a lot of friends who are in the 70 and 80% range. Now, you as a constituent may judge that to be too low, and that's up to each individual legislator. But the point is, is that 
there are people who vote consistently for bigger government all the time, and they go back home and tell everybody how conservative they are. And that's the point. So we don't cast judgment on it. There are occasional bills that we'll go and we'll testify in support or against. But most of the time, we just put out the ratings and then say, you know, go, you do you, boo-boo. Um, I don't care, you know, one way or another. Just, you know, be, be mindful of where you are. That's all. That brings me to a question here. So I was looking at the scores for my own representatives, as well as you know the ones in the neighboring districts. Uh, here in District 14, which uh, up until now included Eagle, Star, and part of Meridian, uh, going forward, it will be Eagle and Emmett, which is very strange. Uh, but uh, up until this point, our representatives, um, our, our representatives have scored at least 70% on every index and all the way up to 100%. Uh, however, our senator, you know, he's a, he's a lot lower. You know, he scores between twenty and thirty nine percent on uh, your indexes. And and I look at other districts, and that's basically the same story everywhere. That you know, even if you've got some good uh, members of the House, your senator is much lower. It's the Senate as a whole is much worse on this scale. Yet I. We're the same voters. We're the same constituents voting for the same people. How is the Senate so much worse at this? Lack of knowledge. Uh, well, let me let me let me just say this. So, so the Freedom Index, like I said, the the it's not everything that we do, but it's a lot. There's there's a lot of um, work that goes into, it, and it's our most known product. Um, that came out in 2012, and so we've been measuring the the legislature for a decade. Um, as a result of those measurements, um, people have used those on their own to. Uh, encourage their legislators to get better, and and they have, and they've also had legislators who have seen the door, um, who've been shown the door, I should say. Sometimes they see the door, but most of the time they get shown, um, and that has resulted in the most conservative House of Representatives in the state's history from 1890. And I, I, that's not an exaggeration; that that's a, a provable fact, and you can see the change in the uh, House over the span of the 10 years, it has become increasingly conservative. And that's also reflected in the, in the votes and the types of bills that are introduced and passed and so on. Um, the Senate is a smaller body. There's not been as much turnover. And as a result of that, um, you and also added to that because it's a smaller body, with um, a, a relatively high number of committees, you show up and you can fog a mirror and you can string a sentence together and they make you the vice chairman or the chairman of a committee. So you're instantly important. So it's harder for the turnover to take place in the Senate. So the Senate is a lagging indicator of what's really happening in the, in the state, coupled by the fact there are a lot of folks still out there who don't know how badly left of center their legislators are, particularly in the Senate. And um, so that has led to a, a, a lot of a, a big schism between House and Senate and between the voter reaction to them. I think it's changing. I think this year, you know, we may see existence proof of that. It could be wrong. Um, but I think there's a lot of noise on the ground that, that I haven't heard in previous years about the performance of the state Senate in particular. Well, hopefully we will see some change. There's a lot of challengers out there who, for both the House and the Senate, and I, I see a lot of them using the um, the three uh, index scores uh, against their opponents. <clears throat> now, the whereas 
incumbents have a record that you can judge. You can, um, you know, we, we can all judge it. You can uh, evaluate it based on your criteria. Uh, challengers can come in and say whatever they want. So, you know, a challenger can say, well, you're, you know, the person I'm running against has an 80% score, but if I was there, I'd have a hundred percent. Right. Uh, I'd, uh, I, I'd, I'd vote on all of those things. Uh, you know, how should voters go about evaluating challengers who don't actually have a record, just uh, promises? Yeah, um, that that's more challenging. But what I tell everybody is that then then you have to do a lot of your own homework. Now there are voter guys that get put out and candidate questionnaires that get out, and certainly the ones that are in the news media are they're all leftist questions, so those aren't very helpful. But you know there are different interest groups who ask a lot of different questions. Um, the 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 challenge is that. Um, Individual voters have to be more mindful of things that are not just surface deep. So typically, a voter will go up to a candidate and say, oh, you're running. What party are you running? Oh, I'm a Republican. Oh, wonderful. Um, are you pro-life? Well, yeah, I'm pro-life. Well, how do you feel about the Second Amendment? Oh, I'm I'm pro-gun. I believe in, in the in Second Amendment rights. Okay, great. Um, how do I vote for you? And and that's it. And and, and that And that's not enough. Is what I tell her. That that's simply not enough. It's very easy in Idaho to tell people you're pro-life and you're pro-Second Amendment. It's really easy. Um, what else do you believe in in corporate welfare? Um, you mentioned corporate. We didn't get back background of that, but do you believe that 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 big businesses should get incentives to move to Idaho? Um, do you believe it's okay that half the babies born in Idaho are on Medicaid? Um, what would you do about the fact that uh, taxpayers are forced to subsidize Idaho government television and national public radio? Um, should the state be giving out money to various pride events throughout the state? Um, I mean, on, on, there's a lot of questions. There. There's tons of questions. Um, what, what, what should we do about, could you believe critical race theories in our, in our K-12 and higher education system? What would you do about it if you're elected? I mean, those are questions that, that are way, way deeper way deeper and it takes more time and it takes a lot more uh, studiousness. There are a lot of folks who are upset about the mask mandates, vaccine mandates, um, shutting down businesses in 2020. And what they don't recognize is those laws were passed a long time ago. You know, they're just being used now. And that's what happens is every day there's always an excuse for growing government. Um, government is a lot larger than it used to be at the helm of Republicans. And so there's a reason for that. It's because you're electing folks who are only, you know, an inch deep when it comes to their conservative principles. They, they're, they're good on the stuff that's easy. So what happens is, is they actually um, vote pro-life, pro-vote pro pro-gun, um, vote for bigger government, and they're getting checks from the teachers' unions and from the uh, big pharma and you know developers and all these other you know special interest groups and they're not interested in limited government they're just interested in in um, in you know those two issues that get their constituents off their back it's up to voters to ask really hard deep probing questions I've been noticing with uh, with a lot of the races that you know there is a lot of single issue um, organizations and PACs that are out there, you know, various pro-life groups, Second Amendment groups, uh, police groups, and they'll endorse a candidate. And I'll look at it and say, why on earth are you endorsing this person? They're terrible on this, this, and this. 
but then they'll say, well, they're good on this one issue that we care about. And sometimes it almost seems, uh, maybe I'm going too far here, but it almost seems to me like they're providing cover for being able to endorse, you know, the establishment candidates. It, you know, it may be, it's hard to know the motives, I mean, uh, of the various groups, if, if they're just trying to give cover. I, I think there are some groups that have given out some very strange endorsements this year, if they're really inter- into limited government. And it's, you know, it, 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 you're right. It's, it's it, it, at minimum, it is a, a cover for the um, the incumbent. You know, it allows for them to, to wave that banner around. Oh, I'm endorsed by this group, and I've got an A-plus from that group. Um, but it's also a way to deceive voters because they think they're getting something that they're not. They're getting, you know, a um, chocolate-covered turd in a punch bowl, if you will, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> so um, I listened to your interview with Representative uh, Priscilla Giddings, who's obviously running for lieutenant governor, and she mm-hmm. suggested that uh, you somehow come up with a freedom index for judges. And it made me think, you know, is there any way to use the same heuristics that you've developed for the legislature to evaluate judges or, you know, the governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general, you know, these people who are outside the legislative process, but they still have a lot of influence over uh, our society? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. We we, uh, um, are looking to do that. It's a little more challenging with judges because they're scattered all over the state and there's no centralized resource to uh, look at each of the individual rulings. So it's something we are looking at, though, because we do think there's a problem in the judiciary. I brought this up with Governor Little uh, twice last year, never really got a response. But my question was, okay, you've appointed these judges, or they, these attorneys to the to the judicial branch as a district judge or uh, whatever, or you've appointed them to be a, a state Supreme Court justice, as the case may be. Um, what what did you look for to indicate these people are conservative? And, you know, I didn't get any real answer back. And the answer is we don't know. We hear about their legal practices. We hear about, um, you know, the fact they might have worked in a state agency as a deputy AG for a number of years um, or that they, you know, uh, um, have been on a, served on the bench for a certain amount of time. And uh, that doesn't tell me anything. That doesn't tell me anything. And, 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 uh, you know, I want to ask the question, you know, are you a Scalia or a Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you know, and what's the answer to that question? So, yeah, it's something we are looking at doing, though. And that, that that would be interesting to see. Um, I think, you know, the, the recent, uh, a couple of recent court rulings have, uh, I think, gotten a little of attention from conservative voters and they want to know how they can exert, you know, any influence over that. And, you know, all we're given is the, you know, the option to retain them on the ballot, which doesn't really, uh, you know, doesn't really do anything. Right. Um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I think for a long time, Republicans have, you know, closed their eyes to the, you know, when it comes to the judiciary, the uh, ability for them to really move our society. You know, the Republicans in, at the national level would often just rubber stamp whatever Democrat nominee there was. And meanwhile, the Democrats, they knew the power of the court and that's why they would fight tooth and nail against anyone, you know, going all the way back to Robert Bork. Yeah, and and we don't we don't do that here, and so um, uh, it, it's a real concern that I, I think the judiciary here in Idaho is already in a lot of trouble. I think you see that with some recent Supreme Court rulings, uh, the the one on Medicaid expansion that we were involved in uh, back in 2018, beginning of 2019, where the question was, does the legislature have the authority to delegate 
its authority to the federal government with regards to 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 the administration of this program. And the court said, "Oh, sure, that we do it all the time anyway, so it must be all right." Um, and then later on, the the court was asked to weigh in on um, whether the legislature can, you know, up the uh, number of signatures gathered for initiatives. It says it right in the Constitution; they can do it. And the court ruled, "Oh no, they don't have that power." That was a really weird ruling. Um, there was a ruling not so long ago where the um, uh, Supreme Court said pretty much every case that comes before the um, in, into the hospital for reimbursement by the by uh, state and local taxpayers that has to be paid for. It doesn't matter what it is. It's it's a medical necessity. Otherwise, the doctors wouldn't have asked for it. Um, and then there, of course, is the um, uh, the redistricting ruling from earlier in the year where the court set aside two previous two previous rulings. Um, and reread the the plain wording of the of the uh, the statute and the constitution to to keep in place the legislative maps that we have today. So I think the court is way off track, and um, uh, it's worrisome that the uh, there's really no there's, there's there's no recourse after that. You know that they start rereading. The Constitution and statutes to whatever they want it to say, then you no longer have a constitutional republic anymore, which we're guaranteed by the U.S. Constitution. So that's concerning. Yes, if if people, whether they're on the Supreme Court or in the executive branch, or in the attorneys gen, attorney general's office, can just uh, reinterpret the Constitution uh, instead of actually following the text that was written and uh, put in there, then yeah, I mean, what's to stop them from just making anything up? Uh, yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. So, so I guess, uh, you know, there's a philosophical question I've been wrestling with because it's, we, we've identified the problems with our state. We've identified the problems with the government. Uh, the question is how to change it. And I was listening to your interview with Senator Stephen Thane recently, and you were going back and forth because he's saying that you have to work within the system. You have to get buy-in from all the stakeholders. You have to, you know, move it, move the needle gradually because you can't really do it all in one go and you were you know especially with education you would tell him that uh, you know what about all the children who are graduating in the failed system now and you used the analogy of rolling a grenade into the room to uh, blow it all up and i definitely feel that but sometimes i f- it seems like we send people into the legislature you know with their pack of grenades and they they end up getting marginalized and they don't get anything done so so the philosophical question I wrestle with is what's the best way to fix this? Is it to get someone in, into the system and work within it? Or is it to send someone like a, a Trump sort of figure from outside to just disrupt the whole thing? Well, I mean, the, the leftists, you know, uh, certainly the Fabians believe that you have to be incrementalist and they've been doing that for, for decades. They started a long time ago and it started with, um, well, I mean, it's hard to say exactly where it started. Probably started with the public education system, you know, getting kids out of their homes and into a a, a school run by the government, controlled by professional educators and not just people from the community who kind of understood how to go and educate children. And the school board it had some oversight over the uh, uh, the school teachers that were hired. It, 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 so perhaps the 1850s. Um, Start probably started there with what we call then into the progressive era, where um, there was an effort to um, um, what we call it the progressive era, but it's, it's way worse than this. Socialist era, where we go and 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 work to get uh, uh, you know income tax, 
wealth redistribution codified into law into, into our various constitutions and the U.S. Constitution and various state constitutions, um, also, and, and then restricting uh, private property rights over many years, restricting gun rights, restricting uh, freedom of speech. That's all been very incremental, right? I mean, now when 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 Obamacare came around, um, and people were compelled to buy health insurance, what was the what was the constant response to that? It was, well, the um, you're you're already made to buy auto insurance, so that must be okay. And two, the Heritage Foundation liked it, so it must be conservative. And that's just nonsense. I mean, it's that this has been the incremental thing, and they get people to buy in to that incrementalism. Well, okay, just this once. It's like meth. You know, you, you do, I, I suppose, I haven't done meth, but I, I understand that it's this way, that if you do it once, that's like Pringles. You want to go back and do it, do it again. Um, but that's the way government is. And, and also the Re Federal Reserve Banking, which um, put a lot more money into the system, which allowed for them to throw, flow more money into uh, government, which expanded socialism. So, I mean, there's a, a lot of different things that have happened over many years. The left loves incrementalism is what I'm trying to say. I think the right loves strong conservative principles, and they want people to hold to those values, and they really want to see people who are who are emphatic about those beliefs. Um, that's why Trump was well-loved. That's why Reagan was well-loved. You'll notice the interim presidents, the Republican presidents, haven't been so well-loved. Um, you know, uh, George W. Bush, uh, George H.W. Bush. Um, and, and the candidates for the Republican nomination, uh, the Republican nominees in presidential races who weren't, you know, diehard conservatives. Um, I mean, people still talk about Barry Goldwater to this day, right? Um, but, but, you know, people don't talk about, you know, other Republican contenders, but they, you know, uh, John McCain and Mitt Romney will soon be forgotten as Republican nominees for president. I sometimes forget that they ran for president myself, that they were the nominees because they are completely forgettable figures with completely forgettable track records with a completely forgettable uh, agenda that they, they basically, they're indistinguishable from leftists. So I think I think the 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 socialists, the communists, the the Fabians, the the various uh, the Marxists, uh, they they all um, angle towards towards um, incrementalism. That's their shtick. But conservatives should fight tooth and nail for limited government and all manner of government. Um, they've allowed they've allowed this to take place, and then so it's like Medicaid Medicaid. Okay, we're Medicaid is pure wealth redistribution, pure socialism, right? But people on our side go, well, what if we put a work requirement in? So you mean if a guy mows my lawn, then he's allowed to sleep at my house? Is that how this works? I, I don't understand the 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 metaphor here. Um, you you you. you it's either socialism or it's not. It's either wrong or it's not. And I'm not going to equivocate on that. And I think if you're a conservative and you believe socialism is, is socialism is bad and wrong and corrupt and 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 uh, perhaps even detrimental to the well-being of country, you should be, just be against it, not try to accommodate it. 
Well, the problem I see is that the conservative voters, they, you know, we, we're, we're, we're like a, a trailer attached to the left wing truck. We're, we're always moving. You know, it's hard enough to get a conservative voter nowadays to support ending a government program from just five years ago. You know, the Republicans in Congress couldn't even undo Obamacare, much less go back to before the Great Society, go before the New Deal, uh, go before the, you know, public education. It's, it, it seems like a very tall hill to climb. So, would incrementalism work in that case you're, to slowly start taking you're, back? You're 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 proving my point for me, though. Um, the the people that we've elected who claim to be conservative aren't really conservative. Otherwise, getting rid of Obamacare would have been easy, mm-hmm. right? And how many times did, did the Republican Congress vote to repeal Ob- Obamacare until suddenly they had a Republican president and suddenly they weren't able to do it anymore? So they did it for for show. They did it to deceive their voters, and then when their vote had consequences, they said, "Oh no, uh, yeah, that we we can't do that." And then they roll, you know, John McCain into the into the Senate, and he you know puts his thumb down and says, "We're not doing this. This is wrong." Um, that that tells you exactly where you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same thing. I had a bet with Stephen Thane in two thousand eleven. Um, because at the time the le- the state was going through a recession, they didn't really want to raise taxes, but they didn't want to cut programs, and so so Thane suggested getting rid of kindergarten, because kindergarten is a useless government program, and I said I don't see how this legislature is going to do that. Maybe they'll get rid of the arts commission, and we had a bet which would happen first: the arts commission, which is totally useless serves no real function. You can do without it and everybody will still live. Um, or kindergarten, which doesn't really educate kids, it just babysits them, but is has a bigger price tag. Um, which would the government which would the state legislature controlled by Republicans do first? And the answer is neither, <laughs> because they 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 simply won't do it because the Republicans in office are not conservatives. If they were conservatives, they would be willing to do it. They wouldn't have they wouldn't flinch at it. And that's the reason why when people saw a guy like Reagan or a guy like Trump, they still celebrate they still celebrate it. They to this day they're still celebrating Reagan. And I would argue that Reagan didn't do near as much as, you know, as a conservative you'd, you'd want him to do. Maybe it was a function of having to work with a crazy out of control Congress with all those liberal Republicans and Democrats anyway. Um, or but but you know, it, it, look at Trump. Um you know, Trump did a lot of deregulation that was opposed by Republicans. Um, but I, I think, I, but he is admired and and and, and uh, revered for the fact that he was willing to be a genuine conservative president. You know, no holds barred, unafraid to tell the truth, president. And I have to admire that. And I think in in the Idaho legislature, the most admired. Uh, legislators, the ones that that go home and they've got they've got parades being thrown for them, are people like Heather Scott and Priscilla Giddings and Dorothy Moon and um, Christy Zitto, and uh, they're the Ron Nate. They're the ones who have been hailed as heroes because they're diehard conservatives they, and, and they recognize what they're there for and they're not there to make the special interests happy so I, I that's a long way of answering I don't I think incrementalism has worked for the socialists it really has um and and the and the Marxists and the uh, the Fabians and the anyway all the, the the that's that's their shtick um incrementalism the world over has worked for those 
characters and has destroyed countries as a result. Um, for the conservatives, we have to be all in on what we're trying to do. There's no equivocation. I'll just say this one last thing on that. There's no equivocation on constitutional rights. Who am I to say that a person's constitutionally protected, God-given right is something we can negotiate over? I, I can't do that, and I won't do that. I think we have a Republican Party that's much further to the left than the Republican base, and yet we keep ending up with a lot of the same leaders. And we're seeing some turnover, uh, but it, you know, sometimes it just seems like it's not happening fast enough. You know, Trump, when he was in office, he got a lot done, but then he was. You know, both parties joined together to destroy him, uh, and and I think we see that where it's it's like you know you send somebody in there, you know, a, a Ron Nate or a Tammy Nichols, Priscilla Giddings who is going to go in there and you know disrupt the system and the system, both left and right and center and whomever else, it, it acts like they're a virus that must be expelled. Exactly. Uh, because, I mean, I, I suppose a, a virus is a, is a good um, comparison because there is a, this foreign body that has invaded this this thing that has been well protected through various inoculations over many years um, and and the system is just designed that way. Um, it favors the special interest groups. It favors the politicians who um, help those special interest groups out. It favors the bureaucracy. And when somebody shows up and says something, you know how many times I've talked to a legislator or committee chairman, uh, and and you know here's the policy idea, and the legislator looks at me and says, "Gosh, that sounds interesting." What does the agency think of that? Well, how about who the hell cares what the agency thinks? You know, maybe the agency should just deal with it because that's the law that's been written. Mm -hmm. um, what they think is somewhat irrelevant. They just have to implement. Um, and, 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 and that's, that's the distinction between say a guy, or no, I'll use Christy Zitto is I think Christy, uh, I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm pitching for any candidate that's up for, for election, but uh, Christie's not running again. So, you know, Christie doesn't care. Christie votes the way she does because it best benefits her constituent, not because it conveniences or inconveniences an agency. And that's very, very different. And the, you know, the, the deep state we see at the top level, at the federal level, it's the, you know, the federal bureaucracy, the employees and managers and policymakers who stay there for decades, no matter who's president or in Congress. I, we, we, I guess we have our own miniature deep state in Idaho where you know, the, the bureaucrats in the executive branch, the, the government employees, you know, they're there no matter who we send to, uh, to the legislature. And you know, their friends in the lobby groups and the, you know, the big business organizations, they're there no matter, no matter what. And I think after a while they start to think that they're actually the ones in charge. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, we're nearing the end of the hour, and I, I've very much appreciated your time. I, I mean, I, I could talk to you for hours more just about the the Marxists and the Fabians. That's a, yeah, but that's a, that's a bit of a different topic. Uh, is there anything else you want to tell us about the Freedom Foundation itself, or um, you know what you're doing, what uh, you know what you want people to know? Well, um, first of all, uh, there's a lot of stuff that gets written about us in the press. Uh, we have a policy of not talking to the media anymore because they can't be trusted unless they've demonstrated that they can be trusted, which most of them have not. Um, they're they're shilling for the for the left, and that's unfortunate. But what, one of the things that you read in the paper, if you do, is that we're funded by people from out out of state, you know, dark money or whatever, 
they don't know because they've never seen our donor list. And the reason they've never seen our donor list is because we don't share that with people um, because we don't want them to be harassed by the left. Um, 97% of our donors come from right here in Idaho. Um, and they, they donate because they care about the work that we do and they care about this country and the future of the country. And they see Idaho as a state that can make a difference in preventing the United States from becoming another communist or socialist hellhole, you know, the likes of Venezuela or Cuba. Uh, there are no magic beans that keep that from happening. And just because people say they're conservative doesn't mean they are. And that's the role that we play. And that's why our donors love the work that we do. So I feel after 14 years of doing this, it's important whenever I can to thank the people who have made it possible, uh, the ordinary Idahoans who write big and small checks to us and um, and know that we're going to use every penny to, to fight for um, a free country. Um, going forward. So I appreciate the opportunity to do, to, to do that with you today. Yeah, I appreciate the conversation and um, I appreciate every, everything you do to get that, uh, you know, to go through those hundreds of bills and uh, try and you know quantify it in a way that it's easy for folks to understand. Cause you're right. It, it would take months for any one of us to just go through and see exactly how our legislators voted on those things. Yep. Well, thank you for your writings too. I've enjoyed reading your stuff. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. And I hope to keep doing this for a while. Yeah. And anytime uh, you want us to come back on, me or anyone on my team, just let us know, okay? Oh, I'd love that. Thank you. All right. Thank you, sir.